Well, this morning, if you would open your Bibles with me to the Gospel according to John, chapter 17. Uh, this morning, we're considering part three of three parts uh, to what is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. As you might recall, uh, part one, uh, Jesus prays for his return to the presence of the Father. In verses 1 through 5, last week we considered Jesus' prayer for the disciples, verses 6 through 19. And this week we will unfold Jesus' prayer for those who would come to uh, faith through the faithful witness of his people. Verses 20 through 26 this morning. Our normal practice at Spring Hill Church is to preach God's word systematically through a book of the Bible. So our current study is in the uh, Apostle John's Gospel. And when we conclude this study, we will take a 30,000 foot uh, survey of the book of Isaiah. That will be what's coming up next. Um, we're going to start this morning. As always, with prayer, then we will read the passage for our consideration this morning, and then we will divide the text and make some uh, applications and observations as we travel through it. So if you would bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning as we pray, Father in heaven, it is our desire to exalt you here this morning. We long for the kingdom of God to be fully realized here on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for God, the Holy Spirit, to enlighten our minds to the truth, to inflame our hearts with a passion for you and for your kingdom, Lord. We ask that you would move our will to be kingdom instruments individually and as a church body. And Father, we pray this morning for saints that are gathered throughout our region. We pray for those specifically that are gathered this morning at Old Town, we pray that their worship would be acceptable and pleasing to you this morning. We pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine this morning. And Father, we ask for our Christian brothers and sisters there that you would be their comfort and their strength, that you would help them to stand firm in the faith as they are under the attack of tyranny, Lord. We ask for your grace this morning to hear to believe and to do what your word will reveal to us. We ask all of this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So if you are able, or as you are able, would you stand with me as we read uh, the scripture this morning from the Gospel of John, beginning at verse 20. I do not ask for these only but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, uh, they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, 
Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. This is God's word. You can all be seated. So as, a, as an opening statement here this morning, I'd like to say this. The kingdom of God continues to advance today. We look around and we see all kinds of things going on, but I want you to hear this. The kingdom of God continues to advance today through the preaching of God's word from a people who have been united to God in Christ Jesus because the same love God has for his son, he has given to those that the father has chosen and has given them to the person of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. In our study of Jesus' prayer so far, some things I think we should notice what his prayers indicate concerning his church. First, the church, the people called out of the world and incorporated into Jesus Christ are marked by joy. From John 17, verse 13, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the church first is marked by joy. Secondly, kingdom of God people are marked by holiness. Chapter 17, verses 14 through 17 says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Which leads us to another mark, thirdly, a mark of the church, that kingdom of God people are those who are marked out by the truth that has been revealed in the scriptures. John 17, 17 again, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as we saw last week, the church is marked out by the king's mission. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. As the kingdom continues after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, we will see in our passage today that kingdom people are marked out by unity. That's what we see in verses 20 through 23. I'm going to read those again. I do not ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they are also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. And lastly, but not leastly, in, in what we see in these passages this morning, is that the church of Jesus Christ is marked by love. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So here is the bold thrust of this morning's passage. Every person united to Christ Jesus Every person, get this, 
Every person, this is for everyone sitting in this room who professes that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every person united to Christ Jesus is a missionary. Every person united to Christ, incorporated into the kingdom of God, is an envoy for God's kingdom. And the kingdom of God is advancing wherever his kingdom people are found. We often think of Christian missionaries as a special group of people who are called to service in foreign lands. While certainly there are those who are called to that type of service to the Lord, but what should become normative, what is normal in the church but should not be seen as unique, is that the Christian who is united to Christ is a missionary, who is a representative of King Jesus Christ. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is brought to bear on the campuses of Gaston High School, on at Yamhill Carlton High School, uh, by the students and the staff who are united in Jesus Christ as they proclaim and live according to the King and according to His principles. The kingdom of God is brought to bear on our government when Christian men and women vote according to their word of God. The kingdom of God is brought to bear when Christian men and women show mercy, love, and charity to the most vulnerable in our society when we do it to Christians and non-Christians alike. In our passage today, we see in Jesus' high priestly prayer an, an assumption that through the disciples that he made on earth while he was there with them, that they would be effective in adding to the people of the kingdom. He assumes something in this prayer. He assumes that they are going to be effective in their ministry. We also will see an assumption that unity among the disciples of Jesus Christ is not just a given. It's not a given thing. Unity that we have is not something that can, we can be complacent about. That unity must be supernaturally given. Because Jesus prays that we would be united with one another as we are united in Him. It's a prayer that, it, that it's going to take some work. Let's look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So in an immediate sense, Jesus here prays for those that would come to believe in Him through the word of the apostles. In an ongoing sense, Jesus prays for all of those who come to faith in him through the obedience of his great commission saints throughout the church age. Jesus praying in advance for those who would believe assumes that in some way the disciples would have success. He's assuming they would have success here. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. They're going to be successful in their ministry. He's making this assumption as he prays for them and that the kingdom is going to advance and the kingdom is advancing through the proclamation of his gospel, of his word. Their word would accomplish the advancing of the kingdom and it does so after his death, resurrection, and ascension. And if you were here with us last week, I would like to remind you of what is unique to all who are incorporated into Christ and his kingdom. Some things that I said last week I want to remind us of because I think that they are important, especially as Jesus says here in verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. The pattern that we have seen in Jesus' prayer is this. 
all who are joined to Christ have had God's word proclaimed to them. Number two, all who are united to Christ have received God's word as it is, the very word of God. All of God's kingdom saints have come to know God and his truth, and of a surety they have believed that Jesus Christ was sent from heaven to rescue them. And fourthly, the word of God has transformed the kingdom of God people in such a way that the word is now part of them. Passivity and Christianity are incongruent partners. The scripture assumes that the disciples are active in kingdom of God purposes. The scripture assumes this, that you and I, disciples of Jesus Christ, who have received God's word from disciples of Jesus Christ. Did you know that the word of God that you have received in the New Testament, you received from disciples of Jesus Christ who were committed to doing the Great Commission work? Who did work, Great Commission work? They did as they were commanded, which means that then when Jesus is talking to those saints at the end, and he says, go therefore and make disciples. He was talking to you. Not just the 11 that were present there. He was talking to you because they too, in obedience, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who received that word were saved and therefore are great commission saints as well. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' prayer indicates that the instrument for the advancement of the kingdom of God and his purposes are what? The instrument by which the kingdom of God advances is his disciples in whom he has given the word of God, who have received and believed his word and know with a surety that Christ was sent from heaven to rescue sinners. It is through those who have received the word that the instrument of God's advancing kingdom goes forward. That's why I say passivity and Christianity are incongruent partners. They don't go together. God is sovereign in election, for sure. John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But see, in that, God not only provides the means of salvation in sending his Son to atone for sinners, but God also provides the method, the preaching of his word through his disciples. It is assumed that kingdom people do kingdom work. Passivity in Christianity, again, is an incongruent partnership. Paul warned the Corinthians to not take the grace of God in vain. He tells them they, owe, they each owe their salvation to an obedient disciple who proclaimed the gospel to them. Listen to his encouragement and admonition in 2 Corinthians um, 5, beginning in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And listen, chapter 6. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. 
For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus prays here with confidence that his kingdom work will advance through the preaching of his word. First through the apostles and then through you. The kingdom of God will advance as you proclaim the gospel through you. You are his chosen instrument to advance the kingdom of God. You, not just Pastor Jeff or Elder Joe or Elder Jesse or Josh, not just them, but you. The kingdom of God will advance through you as you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You, he has given the ministry. You, he has given the job of reconciliation. You, he has given the words of reconciliation. You, you, do your job. Because at a favorable time, he listened to you. At a favorable time, he brought salvation to you. At a favorable time, the word of God came to you and you received it and believed it and were saved. Came to you. You are not to passively wait for the professionals to proclaim Jesus Christ. We're not to sit around and wait for the professionals to do their job. The professionals, so to speak, we use that term, are to equip you to do your job. Are to help you to do your job. You've got to do the work. The kingdom of God is advancing through you. Open your mouth. Do your job. Do your job. You're not to passively wait for the professionals to do it. It's your job. You're not to be passively waiting for the right time. Notice this from, from Corinthians. Not just to passively wait for the favorable time. For the right time to come. For me to do my job. i got to wait for the right time. I know I need to do my job, but now is not the right time. Behold, now is the favorable time, it says. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Preach the word as you go. That's what this whole great commission is. As you go, as you are going, proclaim the gospel, making disciples, teaching others to observe all that Jesus commanded. You, you, all of you are an ambassador. You are his chosen instrument. Do your job. See, passivity and Christianity are not congruent partners. Let's look at verse 21. That they may be all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me, verse 22, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one. So here's a big question. What is Christian unity? Well, first off, I want to say what it's not. It's not uniformity. It's not an appeal to the lowest theological denominator. Unity is predicated on one thing first. 
Unity is predicated on the revelation of truth. Unity is not predicated on just any truth. It is the truth revealed first to the disciples that Jesus ministered to here on earth. Truth from the God of heaven. The revealed truth to the disciples from the scriptures that they received and believed, and then they passed this truth on. See, I want us to get this. It's really important because I have heard many, many times in my years in ministry that that doctrine simply doesn't matter that much. But unity is predicated on sound doctrine. This morning, as we confess the Word made flesh, this is a summary of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine concerning Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our prophet, priest, and king. For us, he kept the law, atoned for sin, satisfied God's wrath, all of those things that we confess this morning. That brings unity. It has been said that doctrine divides. It does. Sound doctrine divides. It divides truth from error. And it unites at the same time. It unites a people born of the revealed truth of Jesus Christ. Unity among Christians ought to be fought for. Passivity and Christianity, again, they are incongruent partners. In Ephesians 4, Paul encourages the church to work toward unity, reminding them of the revelation that they received, that they believed, and that they are to live. He says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, all gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of priest uh, of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. See, Jesus assumes this, that difficulty comes in maintaining unity within believers. And thus, he is moved to pray. And he prays that the disciples who receive and believe the revelation concerning himself would be united in purpose. United together, one in love. United in action that they undertake together for and with each other. One in joint submission to the revelation that they have received. The unity the disciple of Jesus Christ has with the Father and the Son is a supernatural gift given by God's sovereign grace. And as we have studied the Gospel of John, you might remember the vine metaphor from, from John 15. In verse 1 it says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever you wish, uh, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. See, the unity of the Father and the Son is not at all diminished 
by their distinctive roles, offices, or manifestations, is it? The unity that, that Jesus has with the Father, I am the vine, he is the vine dresser. They're still united. They're distinct, but united. Notice that it says he is the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. You are the branches. We're united, but distinctly different. But we're one. That's what he's getting at here. The unity of the Father and Son is not diminished at all by their distinctive roles, offices, or manifestations. The unity of the church, the Christian church likewise, is not diminished by what makes us unique. But unity in our identity in Christ, it is to be worked at. Disciples are so identified with God and they are dependent upon him for life and fruitfulness that disciples of Jesus Christ are now the instrument or the locus of God's redemptive plan and advancement of the kingdom. Notice as we have been studying the Gospel of John and we talked about this a few weeks ago, that, that the locus or the center of God's redemptive plan when we read through the Old Testament was Israel. And then we get to chapter 15 and Jesus says, I am the true vine. The locus, the focus, the attention of God's redemptive plan is in Jesus Christ. And now it is the focus and the locus and the attention and the instrument that God uses in his redemptive plan are all of you who are now united in Christ, that you have been incorporated into him and into the Father, and that you are the instrument to bring about the kingdom of God. I just wonder why, as the Christian church has sat on her hands for so many years, not knowing her purpose, not knowing who she is and who God has made her to be and how he has incorporated her into him and, and that his kingdom work is advanced through the very people he saved. We've kind of sat on our hands and said, we'll let some professionals do this job. It's your job. It's my job. It's our job. Unity is not achieved by denominational adherence, adhering to some denominational rules. It's not, unity is not even had through a church's constitution. Unity is had by a common adherence to the apostles' doctrine, by love that is enthusiastically self-sacrificing through an unwavering commitment to the shared goal of Christ's mission. So if you get anything out of this morning's message two words go therefore go therefore it is you are the instrument of God's advancing kingdom go therefore and I don't care where you go if you go to fix a Volvo there you are if you go to program software there you are if you go to work for the city of Beaverton there you are if you're out on the road in a truck there you are Go, therefore, and make disciples, advancing the kingdom. Tell them the truth of God's word. Reveal Jesus Christ to them in that word, and then trust the Holy Spirit to separate those whom he's called. Go, therefore. 
Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. The church of Jesus Christ has another point of unity, doesn't it? Glory. The glory that Christ was given by the Father has been given to all who heard, received, and believed what Christ revealed to them. See, the Greek word used for glory here is doxa, where we get the word orthodox, means a right opinion. Jesus in verse 22 says, and it's a right standing. I have right standing. Right standing before the Father. I have a right standing before the Father. Glory that He gave me. Right standing with Him. The glory that I had, I have given to them. I have given them a right standing before holy God. So when you say, how are we united? We're united in that we have a right standing before holy God. As a Christian, as a born-again, blood-bought believer in Jesus Christ. They are united in us according to a right opinion. And I have given them a right standing, he says. What do we have in common with each other, church? A right understanding. We have orthodoxy, a right understanding of God's word, a right standing before God. Because we have been incorporated into the right standing of Jesus Christ. He is the vine and we are the branches and we are incorporated into him. And we have been given a right standing before the Father. The glory that the Son has given us in this life is certain to grow as we persevere in the faith. And you might say this, I have a right standing before God, but pastor, I fail so often. Pastor, I'm a mess. I fail to reflect the glory given to me. I think we can all say amen to that. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us this, And we all with unveiled, fa unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And in 1 John 3.2, he gives us this encouragement. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. The disciple of Jesus Christ is united in the glory given to us by revelation through Jesus Christ, and we are united in our hope for the glory that is yet to be revealed in us. In Ephesians 1, verses 7 through 10, it reads this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The purpose of our unity in Christ, in the Father, and is and in the church we have seen in this passage so many times is so that the world may believe that the Father of heaven sent His Son to unite all things in Him. The goal of our unity is the same as the goal for our proclamation of the truth, is that the world may believe in the Son and come to know the Father and thus receive eternal life. Another clue from our passage that unity in the church is to be worked at and to be developed is in verse 23. That Jesus 
prays that our unity would be perfected, that they, it may be perfect, a perfect unity. And you guys may know by experience that here we are in the church today and we don't have perfect unity. It has not been perfected in us. But that is Jesus' prayer, that it will one day be perfected in us. And it seems to me that passivity and Christianity still here are incongruent partners. That we can't be passive about that state where we're not perfectly united yet. We need to be working at that. And then he says here again in verse 23, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. See, the Apostle John, who penned this gospel, found his identity in one thing. How would John describe himself? Would John, the apostle, say, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ? That would not be how he would lead into his conversation about who he is. He would say this, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. I am one whom Jesus loved. Now, when we think about that, we know God hates sin and God is going to exact his judgment and his wrath against sin. And the kingdom of God is somehow advanced by sinners in whom God, in his mercy, has set his electing a love upon them. One of the things that I said at the beginning this morning was that the church is marked by love. We who have received and believed the word of God concerning his son are united to Christ and the father with the same love that the father has for the son. And he has for all of those who have been incorporated into him by faith. I wonder how much more confident we would be in the proclamation of the gospel and putting forward kingdom work if we led with this as a church, as individual members of it that we might say, I am a disciple whom Jesus loved. I am a sinner who deserves wrath and punishment and death. But I am a disciple whom Jesus loves. Is that not a compelling proclamation in the world today? I think that's compelling. The world needs to know that they are loved by God. That they can't do anything to earn it. And in fact, they've built up wages for something entirely different. But God sent his son because he loved you. And he loved me. And he paid the penalty for my sin. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ because God loves me. The love of God compels me then to tell you about that love. The love of God pushes me forward to tell you of his great love for sinners. While God hates sin, he loves sinners. It seems like 
Hard to imagine that those two truths sit together, doesn't it? But it's true. God hates sin, but He loves sinners and He sent His Son to die to express His love for them and for me and for you. We are loved by Jesus Christ and therefore we love, as we talked about last week, all those who are loved by Jesus. And even those who do not yet know the love of Jesus so that they might believe that God sent His Son to rescue them. As we sang this morning in this song from, from John 13, 35, right? By this, all people will know that you are my, disi my disciples if you have love for one another. If our identity is this, I am a disciple whom Jesus loved. The person sitting across the aisle who has rubbed me the wrong way all week long is a disciple whom Jesus loved. I am called to love those whom Christ loves, to love the things that he loves, to lay my life down for those whom he lays his life down for, right? Is that not also a compelling message that, that, that the world might believe? The world might believe that God really sent his son because this is unnatural, right? This is unnatural. It's not humanly possible that they would do this. But look at these people, they do this. They love whom Jesus loves. They lay themselves down for those whom Jesus laid his life down. The kingdom of God continues to advance today through the preaching of God's word from a people who are united to God in Christ Jesus because the same love that God has for his son, he has given to us. Jesus prays to the father, confident of the success of the disciples in the expanding kingdom. Jesus prays that we would pursue unity according to that which has been revealed to us by God in his word. God is working through his disciples. God has chosen a people out of the world to be united to him, to be his instruments to bring others into that kingdom. Are you one of them? Have you received the word of God and believed in his son? And here's the toughest question to ponder this morning. Are you passive about the priorities of the advancing kingdom? I will tell you this, that I have been far too passive far too long. I'm confessing that truth to you. I've been far too passive of a participant. Far too often saying, I'll tell that neighbor, my friend, the truth about Jesus when the time is right. Behold, now is the favorable time. The expectation of the Father is that his kingdom is advancing, but it's through you and through me. Being passive won't get it done. We have to be active in our faith. Is it you that is passive in the kingdom?